Welcome back to Unpack This, where academic misfits go to unload their shit. I'm Joe Shu, one of your hosts, and... And I'm Constance Bailey, your other host. And today we are very excited. We have Dr. Elaine Richardson, a.k.a. Dr. E. She is an award-winning scholar, teacher, musician, author, and mentor. She's professor of literacy studies at The Ohio State University, Columbus. Her research interests include the liberation and critical literacy education of people of the Black African diaspora. She has authored books on African-American literacies, hip-hop literacies, and an urban educational memoir that chronicles her journey from drugs and the street life to the university. She's also edited volumes on African-American rhetorical theory and hip-hop feminism. She is founder of the Ohio State University's Hip Hop Literacies Conference, as well as the creator of Columbus Women and Girls Fest, an initiative for Black mothers, daughters, and gender expansive people of color in the Columbus, Ohio community, which grew out of her after-school literacy club for middle school Black girls. Dr. E is also the founder of Education Foundation for Freedom, EFF, a registered charitable 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to the empowerment of women and girls to interrupt vulnerability. We will provide links to all of these texts and organizations in the show notes. Welcome, Dr. E. Thank you for making the time to join us. Thank you so much. We're so happy to have you. So you do so many things. When I sent your bio or when I shared it with Constance, Constance was like, I got tired just reading that. You're a researcher, you're a mentor, you're a teacher, community work, you're a musician. And so I'm wondering maybe we can start with what are the guiding values or a vision that connects these things? How do you know what to take on? What, what, do, what drives you? The main thing I think is gratitude. Because I just feel like I should be dead. I, you know, I really feel like I, the only reason why um, God let me live is so I can do what I do. I think I had to go where I had to go, my path, to be able to appreciate life. Because I remember, you know, not wanting to live many, many times. And also, I uh, remember almost getting killed. Many, many times. And God just kept putting people in my path. And especially my mother. My mother stayed in my path. <laughs> I just have a real gratitude for so many people that reached out to me and to help save my life. But most of all, my mother. And um, there were so many things that I wanted to do and be when I was a kid. And I couldn't really see myself. You know, I couldn't really... I didn't really value myself. I didn't really, you know, I, I, was, I was believing a lot of the uh, pathological narratives about who I was as a Black girl and a Black person growing up. And, you know, I grew up in the hood. And there were beautiful people, you know, in my hood. But there was also a lot of, you know, instances of misogynoir. Uh, uh, just, you know, not feeling beautiful, just, you know, being tricked by the narratives on television, you know, and things people said to me that broke my spirit, you know, just uh, and things that happened to me that broke my spirit. So I just feel, you know, like I want to interrupt those things for other people as much as I possibly can because people interrupted them for me. And I think that the more of us that are trying to change systems and create what we want to see, that we're contributing 
you know, so that somebody else doesn't have to have those pains and that, those trials that we went through. Sure. Did I answer yeah, your I- question? Yeah, that absolutely does. And and as somebody who's shared a, a field or a discipline with you, you are definitely one of those people who created narratives and models and trajectories that, you know, bring light into a place that otherwise doesn't have it. So I am I am filled with gratitude for that for sure. Oh my gosh. And you always make me you always affirm me and you always make me feel valued. And I really love you. And I, I don't I feel like I don't talk to you enough, but know that you are in here. You are in here. <laughs> I appreciate that. I it it goes both this. ways. Constance is in here too. I'm, I'm, I got to grow Constance because I just met Constance, but that's all right. Well, you know what? We have so much overlap in terms of friends and disciplinary stuff. My friend Cedric always raves about you and, and the brief time Cedric that- Burrows. I, yes, yes. And, Cedric and, and, and when we visited Arkansas, I think we oh. talked a little bit about Cedric. So. Oh. Is that where I met you at That is, yes. So Joe and I are very much appreciative of the model you set forth. I think that that is something that they are trying to do and that I'm trying to do is create the spaces that we want to see. So it's folks like you who've been around for a little bit longer than we have in terms of academic careers (laughs) um, have set, set a great sort of bar that we need to try to to reach. One thing that I that I wanted to know for our this is a vast audience that I'm speaking into existence, Dr. E. I don't know if you know this about our kind of fledgling podcast, but anyway, <laughs> there might be folks who are who are not in academia or aren't in English departments or just don't have a lot of knowledge about CompRet in general. So I'm wondering how would you describe African American literacies and hip hop literacies? Or put another way, what are the distinguishing features? of AFAM literacies and hip-hop literacies as opposed to any other type. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I think one of the things I like to say is that literacies are definitely tied to identity. And we don't think of literacies that way, and I'm pluralizing it because there are, you know, many, many literacies. There are many, many ways of making meaning of communicating meaning, of knowing, of being, and different ways of being in the world with different groups of people. I think for Black literacies, there are so many ways of making meaning, communicative patterns, embodied ways of knowing and feeling and communicating that have been uh, erased or invisibilized by the systemic literacy. Because when people think of literacy, they think of one thing, you know, print and print literacy as being that is what literacy is. And it is this systematized way of, of, of communicating that actually is tied to identity, but it's been standardized so people don't see it as being you know, tied to identity, but it is, and it's very political and it's very ideological. <laughs> and um, just like other literacies are political and ideological, but the, but the systemic literacy is seen as being non-political, it's neutral, you know, and everybody has access to it and it's everybody's and it's it represents intellect and, you know, this is how you know what you know and this is how we can all communicate together. But it it is a way. It's not the only way. It's just the, the way that is empowered. 
And so we don't think about the many other ways that people transmit knowledge and communicate and carry down ways of being in the world, culture, you know, identity, history. So for African-Americans, that, that's so, you know, like, I mean, you know, everybody, every culture has these, but they're just made special because of the culture. You know, so everybody's culture has literacies. They're just different based on who those groups are. So I, I really like thinking about the ways that, for example, African-Americans and Jamaicans and other Black diaspora people have had to communicate meaning in spaces where they didn't have power, but how they still humanize themselves by, you know, even things like the way that they could cut their eyes, you know, or um, make a, ge a facial gesture, or all kinds of different movements that people did to protect their humanity and to talk back, even if the people didn't know they were talking back. <laughs> <laughs> people do these things in spaces where they do have more room to uh, or more license I should say to communicate a, a black identity or, uh, or and to communicate resistance in a black identity so for example I remember when um, uh, 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 oh, Kamala Harris was talking to uh, was it Mitch McConnell I can't remember but back when the election was going on and he kept cutting her off and she said, I am speaking. And the way she did it, it was like, you know, I'm serving black woman, middle class, shut your damn mouth and let me talk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the way she did it, we knew, you know, mm -hmm. we, we knew, you know, that the, she was signifying, but at the same time, you know, break, bringing Rick, as Gwendolyn Pugh says, a way to, to create space for yourself while some white man is, is, is white-splaining. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Man-splaining. <laughs> yes, I love it. That's a great example. And I think we'll put in the show notes links to your books if people want to know more. But for sure, as a folklore scholar, um, I always say we're very much a folksy people. So I'm always quoting my grandma just random things i'm like oh you gotta shit or get off the pot and they're like come what on. are you talking about come on. <laughs> but, come on. so i'm always trying to use yeah. those oh. black vernacular expressions oh that my. young folks don't like my kids are looking at me giving me the side eye right trying to figure yeah. out what the heck i'm talking about but yeah do you remember so, when um oh yeah i know y'all know this one because y'all was in arkansas senator flowers is her name flowers or flower i can't remember i think it's flowers is it flowers when uh, they were trying to pass the Stand Your Ground in Arkansas, as she, you know, they were like almost ready to vote, and she had to bring Rick. She mm -hmm. said, uh, she said, I have a black son. You know, she yeah. came out of the traditional systemic discourse that they are used to hearing in the court because they kept trying to make her, you know, move on with the program. And then she had to break, she had to bring Rick and said, I have a black son. And um, they said, I'm sorry, uh, Senator Flowers, blah, blah, blah. And she said, no. And then she went into black mother discourse. She mm -hmm. went into, and then she even asked him once she went off and went there. She said, what you going to do, shoot me? Like y'all been shooting everybody? I mean, she brought it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So 
that was like she went into black mothering just yeah. and yeah. it actually trumped her her um the order of discourse, the authoritative order of discourse it, that they are used to having in that room. And they were able, they shut down the standard ground based on her, you know, bringing wreck in that space. So sometimes we yeah, should do what we have to do. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's true. Don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I think Maxine Waters set a good precedent for that with reclaiming my time and just elevating the political discourse in the sense of, making it our own, right? You're not going to dictate the how and when and why is that Black women can speak. So that's great. I forgot about that example. Thank you for bringing it. Yeah. I, I also love that example. And I think it, it highlights something that is both what's powerful and dangerous about what we do as a field, as literacy, as rhetoric, as people who teach English, in that the fields that we're employed by are historically the ones made to exclude these like designed, engineered, to deny marginalized communities their power, right? To strip them of the language practices that affirm their experiences, that disrupt the systems made to exclude them, all of that. And so when we devalue or don't teach, for example, how Black mother discourse can intervene in a setting like that, we are also actively uh, denying folks the fact that that rhetorical power exists, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. Somebody was telling me uh, the other week that John McWhorter, or Keith Gilliard, was telling me about John McWhorter wrote something in response to an NCTE panel that he, uh, what's it, 4C? Might have been 4C, because he talked about Asao um, mm. Inu Inue. I hope Inue, I'm yeah. Inue, and a statement that Asao made about... Um, Something similar to what you just said, but it was something about how when we teach Black students not to use their language, um, I can't remember the exact words, but you got to look at Keith Gilliard's blog to get it, because Keith responded to McWhorter oh. and to uh, Asal on his blog, but that there is a point where we have to nuance what we're talking about, because sometimes people do need to or want to code switch or whatever they feel they have to do in a certain situation. And I may not be quoting Keith exactly right, but check out that blog because it something about what you said reminded me of his critique of a sound. Yeah, I'll I'll check it out and put it in the show notes. I didn't know that Keith had a blog, so that's yeah. something new to me. Yeah. So looking at this this whole trajectory of your work from African-American literacies, hip-hop literacies, to your own literacy narrative, to working in the community with the Columbus Women and Girls Fest, something, something that's very consistent to me looking at your work is that you're working with communities in communities. And I'm interested in how your understanding of literacy has, or your approach to literacy has changed over time with, with the people that you've worked with. How have these people or these experiences help shape the work that you do now? Definitely. I feel like I've learned so much from being in those spaces about how we are always negotiating white supremacy and how we're all trying to figure out how to be empowered. And, you know, there are times when, because it's hard, it's really hard not to reproduce the whiteness and the white supremacy. 
And I try to learn, you know, more about myself. I learn a lot about myself all the time from doing this work. And I'm just trying to figure out with everybody else, you know, how how do we overcome the internalized white supremacy and move forward collectively? Because so much is always trying to separate us, isolate us. Like you already said, you know, like this trying to stop us from disrupting the power structure. Because we need different systems. And it's hard, it's really hard not to replicate um, because everywhere we go is based on, you know, systemic white supremacy just about. It's in us. It's in us. We've been, you know, fighting it since whenever, historically, ancestrally, you know, and everything. So I think that's one of the main things that I'm thinking about in, you know, like working in community is trying to get it unrooted from myself, uprooted from myself, and um, just try to focus on just learning and loving, trying to love. I know it sounds real, you know, but I don't think it sounds that weird. Because Ben Wilkes used to talk about that all the time, the, you know, the mm-hmm. power of love. But I'm, I'm trying to learn how to um, be more of a servant, you know, because I know some things, but people, uh, everybody else knows some things too, you know. Yeah. So I just try to stay humble. I see a lot of stuff that makes this tries to interrupt what I'm doing, and it and it comes from my head, from me seeing yeah. other stuff that's going on. You know what I mean? I see a lot of stuff that's going on, and I just I try to not focus on that. I try not to focus on that and try to just do what I feel God let me live to do. I, I know that that's a messy answer to to your really sophisticated question <laughs> about what am I learning about literacy, you know, in the community. But most, you know, and I, I guess it's another way of saying I'm holding space for myself and people in the community mm. because I learn in those spaces how to be a better servant. And also at the same time to use the resources that I, whatever resources I have, you know, and bring that to the community and to keep doing what I think God let me live to do. I think that's a beautiful answer for a very messy topic, necessarily <laughs> literacy. And I want to, I want to pause with what you said. I don't think, I don't think talking about love is weird. I think the way that the academy is is usually structured is if it, it's evacuated of emotion, right? It's disciplined out of us. We're not supposed to talk about things like care because it would prevent you from thinking differently about this space. And the fact that there are some people who experience traditional classrooms as as spaces of suffering, as spaces of, of trauma. And to move through that differently, we have to think about care. We have to think about, I prioritize the people in this room more than I do the sort of paradigms it was created to discipline, you know, and, and how would I move differently if the first thing I prioritized was care for these people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was going to say, it's not mm-hmm. a messy answer. It's a true answer. It's a real answer. So we appreciate that you bringing your authentic self to this conversation and everything you do. Um, so. My question, this is, all right, let me give some context that when Joe sent your list of accomplishments, like for a woman who does too many things, I, again, I was completely overwhelmed and exhausted, but I was, you know, quickly enamored with 
the blues performances and I had forgotten about your performances. And <laughs> one of the reasons I'm especially interested, other than the fact that they were really great performances, is that some of my research is about blues women. And then the, the second manuscript, whenever I finish this manuscript, is going to be about Black women's humor. And there will probably be a chapter about blues women's humor. And one of the pieces that she performed was so hilarious. and I, I, Or the lyrics were, the performance was... What was, was it? What was it? <laughs> it was, oh shoot, now I'm going to blank on the name. Was it Let it Me was, Clear My Throat? Not Let Me Clear My Throat. Yes, it was. That's was exactly it what it was. That was Let Me Clear My Throat. <laughs> so I wondered, one, you know, do you write your own lyrics? That was one question. And then I saw, I came across the tiny desk. So, okay, awesome. And then I was wondering about the how the universe, how the Tiny Desk series, I guess, for the university came about. Did, did they pitch it to you? Did you come to them? Or how did that, you know, you how, how did that come about? The TEDx? Did you mean TEDx? Or did you no, mean? No, not the TEDx. The, there was a Tiny Desk performance. Um, I think the song was Pandemic. And it was sort yes. of similar to like oh, NPR's. Okay. I see why you said the university. I see okay. why. Because the Wexner, so the Ohio State University Wexner Center, they had a series called, uh, I forgot what it was called, but it was, it was for original music. They said, do you have any material that you've never performed anywhere before that's new? And I was working on those songs then. So um, they were like, oh, great, you'd be great for the series. So that's how I wound up doing Pandemic for the, uh, the Wexner Center. Because it was right in the middle of the pandemic, too. I mean, we're still in the pandemic. Even people try to act like it's old. It's, it's true. This is true. <laughs> you see me? But the reason why I got confused is because you said tiny desk. Because I also performed that, that song as a tiny desk song uh, entry, too. So, because to me, the tiny desk entry is separate from the Wexner Center. That's why I was getting confused on. Oh, I see. I think I was on your YouTube page. It looked very similar to the NPR Tiny Desk series. And so it had Tiny Desk written on there. So I might have seen your entry piece. Maybe that was Yeah, it. that was um, my entry piece. Yeah. Yep, oh, okay. yep. And I also did a different um, YouTube for the Wexner Center that was with those same songs. Yeah, yep, you, have a, you have an impressive uh, social media. You know, I can't keep up. But. <laughs> I'm just glad that you feel that way because <laughs> I feel that I'm not um, as active as I would like to be on social media because people are putting content out there every day. And I just like, oh, I can't do the everyday thing. You know, that's a lot. I don't, I don't know that I have the energy for that. I've been told, right, like that as academics, you should have more of a public yeah. platform personality, something. I don't know. Um I finally got a Twitter constant notice, but I don't actually know what to do in that space. I know I'm not that great on Twitter either, but <laughs> yeah, you, you got to get those. Um, there are these apps or things where people sync uh, the people that are very prolific. I suspect they are syncing their stuff and pushing it out to all the things simultaneously. Yeah. And I, no, I don't have time for that, but. Um, yeah, I was really just being a fangirl. And then when I ever get around to the second project, maybe you'll grant me an interview. Maybe, of course, sister. Are you kidding? <laughs> I would love to see that. Um, Dr. E, I did. I want to ask you what you're working on right now. I am working on a book called Reading the World with Black Girls. And I have been trying to work on this book for a long time. <laughs> I've been trying to work on this book since about 2015. So it's an incorporation. It's changing, you know, because I've had so much time to think about it. So I had the after school club from 2010 to 2015. And 
um, is performance arts arts based club um, social literacies approach to you know learning about what it means to be a black woman and girl it, like in, you know querying because we're trying to figure it out we're all trying to figure out you know what does it mean to be a black woman or girl and how are we how are we represented to ourselves how do we think about ourselves and all of these things so I used short pieces of literature hip-hop videos, viral videos of, you know, different things that were about Black women or girls in popular, you know, in the public sphere. What else? Uh, we wrote, we we drew, we, we, we created art, we analyzed videos. We did a lot of things, you know, together with those middle school girls. I was really, at first, you know, thinking that this book would be I mean, in a way it is. In a way, this book is like theorizing about, you know, Black girls, Black women, gender expansive youth of color and people of color and literacies. It is still that, but it's, I'm, I'm, I've learned so much since 2010. And, you know, like the stuff that I thought that I was going to write when the club ended in 2015 and I've written some of that stuff. Like I've published like articles, some of, you know, or chapters from some of that work. Uh, but it's changing now because I'm changing. And so the book is like looking at the stories of some of the girls who were in the club and things that I was learning, like, you know, on the ground at that time about, you know, the sexual abuse to prison pipeline. Or the, you know, the uh, school to prison pipeline and uh, how the bisexual and queer girls in the club were being erased. And even, even me erasing them, right? Even me erasing them because there was nothing there to center their identities. You know, so I'm, I'm learning, you know, about all this white supremacy in me and all of the homophobia in me, even though I didn't see myself as homophobic. Because I thought I knew, you know, I, I, got, I got queer friends. I used to work this street with, with, with trans women. I'm, I'm, I'm me. Ooh, I have friends. But I didn't realize, you know, you're still homophobic if you're not centering people. You know what I mean? And I didn't know what to do about it because of the space that I was in, in that after-school club. That's another reason why it's hard for me to be involved with schools because, you know, that was an after-school club. And the principal who we started that club with loved, trusted, gave me the reins to do whatever I wanted to do. But it was still a, a space where, you know, parents were telling me what they wanted. And then my principal left and a new principal came and he was telling me what he wanted, you know. And it was like I was getting so much different you know, from different forces, from different ways that I didn't know how to handle, you know. And so uh, I I could look back on some of that stuff and say, wow, you know, I did a disservice to some of those girls. I can look back on that. And so I'm talking about, you know, these things, some of these things that I learned about being in that space. And even though all those kids love me and I love them, I still wish I could have done better by them, all of them in different ways. But yeah, the book is is turning it into a lot of different stuff that wasn't there at first. 
Thank you for for sharing all of that. And I, I wanted to highlight something really beautiful about that moment when you were talking about erasure and the fact that erasure happens often, not because we actively chose to do something, but because we didn't do something and that that's the default, right? It's not necessarily that we thought anything particularly malignant in our hearts or anything, but that because white supremacy functions the way that it functions, it all it takes is for us not to notice in order for it to keep going. And the way that you are reflexive about that and actively responding to what you're hearing from these girls is is actually quite remarkable. Well, a lot of it kept from looking back at those videos too. You know what I mean? You can look back, I'm looking back at those. That's even like when I have a bad performance to myself. You know, I always want to give, you know, everything that I can give. And so when I look back at some of my performances, I don't like them. It's hard for me to watch myself. It was hard for me to watch some of those videos because I didn't know how to handle something. You know what I mean? And I didn't use the space the way that I could have used it, even to even undermine the constraints that I was under. I could have undermined more than I did. Yeah, that's a hard space to be into, though. So my next question actually is about the research, and it's a segue. It's kind of a follow-up. I'm really interested, since the project has been in the work since 2015, I don't know if you're still, you know, working on some of the content. And the reason I'm asking is because one thing that I've... Okay, because I wonder, have you either looked at or considered looking at Black mother-daughter TikTok performances, because I find those to be really interesting in terms of internal family therapy, in terms of community building, in terms of, um, and it may not be within the scope of your research, but I find those fascinating, right? I often contemplate if I had more rhythm, I would do them with my daughters, but thinking about similar ways to strengthen our relationship, but also how this generation is really using social media as an extension of their identity. Mm, I like that. I like that. It's definitely something I want to look at. Maybe even just to use it in my classes. Because that's, that's the way I learned is through teaching and talking with my students and just putting it out there and saying, what y'all think? <laughs> you know, no, that's absolutely. It's sometimes it goes over well. I have a very student-centered classroom where sometimes it seems like there's no method to the madness, but in fact, there is. <laughs> but it's kind of like, hey, did y'all see blah, blah, blah? What did y'all think right. or tell me about this new trend so yeah you learn so much that way to just be to just be willing to be a learner in that space well definitely if you have any space to reflect on it it might be interesting but if not I often think I'll get to it but of course I won't it's it's like number 20 on my list I know I know that you are so tight on time Joe Joe is the brains of this operation I usually ask the fun questions I want to know especially with you having so many professional responsibilities. What do you enjoy doing for fun? What are you binging or reading? Like Netflix, audiobook, anything? Oh, wow. For fun? <laughs> for fun? You know what? For fun, I just like to listen to music a lot. I love listening to music. I was just listening to some old Stevie Wonder stuff yesterday. Because I do, I have a share coming up, not until September, but I want to sing at least one Stevie Wonder song. Stevie Wonder is my dude. I love Stevie Wonder down in my spirit. <laughs> uh, also, I've been listening to because our um, so it is you know there's a lot of fun mixed in my, with my work too. Um, so we're starting a new mentoring initiative as a part of the Columbus Women and Girls Fest, and it's performance art based. 
And so it's with middle school girls to high school, but I think most of the people in it are going to be middle school kids. And we're doing it with the local community center. And uh, I've been trying to find videos of young performers, organic performances, more so than people who've been, you know, trained to you know, not that kind of, you know, I want to find organic talent, raw. And so, because I want to show it to the kids in the club. And so I've been running across these young people who are just raw talent, you know, just raw talent. And so I've been watching those and that's been really fun. Next week, I gave my birthday present to myself. My birthday was May 9th. And I've started a thing that I've gotten from my friend, Judy. Dr. Judy Austin, Austin, here in Columbus, Judy celebrates her birthday for a month. That's mm. not what I just started. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do like Judy. I'm going to start That's making the, the whole, the whole month of May is my birthday. You know? mm-hmm. And so next week, I'm going to Atlanta by myself. And I'm going to hear one of my favorite independent soul artists um, sing. Her name is Cy Smith. She's a wonderful vocalist. A very brilliant black woman. I follow her on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And she always has these really profound, authentic things to say about things that are going on in the public right now, you know, as well as she travels around the world with this trumpet player um, named Chris Bodie. And she's just, you know, like she's one of these artists who a lot of people may not know who she is, but she is bad as heck. She is so phenomenal. And so I'm so excited to go to her show next week. I'm just going to lay up in my hotel room and you know, go to her show one day. Yeah, and I might read, you know, something. I, my daughter just bought me, a, one of my daughters bought me a Viola Davis's memoir. So I'm going to read that probably while I'm in my room. And I'm going to just eat anything I want and do whatever I want for my birthday by myself. <laughs> Woo, that sounds wonderful. I'm relocating to Atlanta this summer. I accepted a position at Georgia State. So the next time you are down that way, you will have to, and I actually will be there the week after next, I think, but um, we'll get the artist info from you so we can link her stuff in the show notes. And I definitely yay! want to check her, her oh, out. Oh, that'll be dope. Yay, yay, yay. Oh my God, and congratulations. You, you know, we gonna be new best friends, you in the ATL. <laughs> oh, yeah, girl. I just missed the uh, Patty LaBelle concert that I'm very uh, upset about, but uh, I'll catch her next go around. It's okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. It was so fun to talk to y'all. We got to do it here. <laughs> I, I know. I promise I get you out of here on time. So yeah. thank you so much for making thank time for us. Y'all. I love y'all so much. Thank you. Yeah, is there, always is there... feel good. And thank you, Candace, my new best friend. <laughs> I know it, right? Is there any uh, information in terms of social media, Twitter, where people can find you? Yes, you? I'm on. I am the inspirational soul. Well, inspirational soul queen on Instagram. Doctor E Richardson on Facebook, and I'm Doctor E on Facebook as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just anyway. to make it, just to mix it up a little bit, just to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> well, we thank want, you so thank much. Thank you so much for your time Thanks, today. Uh, it was my pleasure.